Hello, this is Angela Schaefers, the host of Your Story Matters radio show. Today I have a very special guest who I recently found out about and connected with via social media. Her name is Patty Govin. She's an author and she has written her story and her husband's story, Hope Through the Eyes of Love. Welcome to the show, Patty. Thank you, Angela. I'm very excited that you're here today to share with our listeners some of your story about your husband's brain tumor and dealing with the issues that have gone on for quite a few years now regarding his health and how that's impacted you. But before we go to that part of the story and talk about the book, I would love for you to share some of your story, your background and your history as far as what life was like prior to this change in your life. Um, back 20 years ago, um, we were just living a newly married life. It was We had been married five years at that point. Um, he was teaching me how to scuba dive. I was a, a nurse in the hospital working on the floor. Um, just at that point, learning more about home health, I had gone from an experience of working with a head injury rehab patients mm-hmm. and um, decided that I really wanted to get into home health. Um, at that point, I was actually changing jobs um, in my nursing career going into home health when Ron was diagnosed. Things all happened for a reason, and lo and behold, my experience with head injury rehab really, really helped. I'm sure. At that point. I'm sure it did. What was Ron doing prior to when he was diagnosed? It's almost asking what was Ron not doing prior to uh-huh. him being diagnosed. He was working on um, losing weight. He was trying to work on becoming a triathlete. He was running, jogging, um, biking, and swimming, um, quite avid in all those three areas. He also, as I said, was a scuba diver and um, was teaching me the ropes. Mm-hmm. Um, he also taught me how to do... We used to go canoeing and fishing, just all sorts of things. Very outdoor, very active, mm-hmm. very um, wanted to be out there in the world and experience everything we could. Mm-hmm. He was a um, welder at GE at the time and um, worked with a wonderful group of people. Uh, they, they really loved and cared for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome. What was it, if we go back a little bit further, that actually instilled a sense of caring for others in you because not everybody, of course, can can or will become a nurse or a caregiver. And that in itself, outside of your own personal life, sometimes takes a toll and requires a lot of passion and commitment. Can you share with the listeners that part of your story and how that evolved? Absolutely. I also shared that in the book, too. Um, There was a significant event. When I was nine years old, I had the experience of spending time with my great aunt. My my aunt was a nurse at the hospital um, in the town where I grew up and was quite admired and was really respected. And when she ever told me that I had the characteristics of being a nurse, that set my direction for life. I knew from that point forward that I was going to be a nurse and mm-hmm. nothing was going to stop me. And at the age of nine, that's pretty significant. Yes, um, that is. I also grew up in a very large family. I have four brothers and four sisters. Mm. Um, so being part of a crowd, um, trying to help out around the house, mm-hmm. you know, caring for others. Um, also, my mom was very inspirational to me that she could um, be her own person 
and was just driven to take care of every one of us as individuals. And she's definitely my role model for caring for others. Mm-hmm. Um, having nine kids, she still worked in the community. I remember her being in the Boosters Club, um, working in the church, just really caring individual. And mm-hmm. I always admired that from her. And I think from those two people, I, you know, I really felt that I was bound for service to others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. And, and i just like to share some of the background about people's story because, as you mentioned already or earlier, everything evolves into our past kind of intertwining with our present and our future. And sometimes we don't really understand why or how it all evolves that way but then it all works together for a good purpose. Absolutely. And looking back and um, putting the information together for the book, um, I started to realize that, wow, there's this, where I've come from has made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And it sounds like you've learned a great deal, not only from your early, early on story, your family unit and growing up and and why you became a nurse and those types of things, but you've learned a great deal about your journey that you've been on with Ron. And before we talk about that story and the book and and how that all evolved to even write the book, what was it like during your life when you met Ron? What was happening for you and what was it that you think drew you two together? Well, we went on a blind date and... You know, as people say, (laughs) right, he says, Ron, he, it was just, we knew that we belonged together from that instant forward, and we were just making our lives together as best we could. Mm -hmm. We had some really tough going, even in the first five months of being together, Ron was working for a dive company, and uh, the dive company fell apart. Here we are, we were living in Florida together, um, and everything just fell out from underneath us. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, um, his nephew died, mm-hmm. and it was quite a tragic instance. And we spent a lot of time talking about death and dying and how we as a couple were going to get through that. How could we take these adversities and get through them together. Mm. Um, shortly thereafter, after being married, we were told that we can't have children. Ron has a, what is called Kleinfelter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So we weren't going to be able to have children together. And I'll never forget him saying, you know, I married you. I didn't marry you to have children. Mm. Mm. So... We worked really, really hard to get through that process. We joined a support group. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget someone saying to me that you can't make that loss or that adversity in life bigger than your marriage. Mm -hmm. That's right. Your marriage needs to be first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, You're there for each other. Um, Having children would be wonderful, but you're here for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really early on had some really tough going. Um, it was it was tough, but we always, always tried to make the best of it. As I said, we would go out and explore and do things and um, hike. And uh, growing up from a large family, you have to learn how to do things cheaply. Mm-hmm. And I was a pro at that. <laughs> Sounds like a good match. And I think that that's critical to what you're saying. Again, it's like you had started to build a foundation already of what it looks like to be a team with your husband and to, you know, commit to working through the obstacles and the challenges and even talking about 
tragedies and life and death. I mean, that's huge stuff that sometimes, you know, it takes years, if not ever, to get to that point in a relationship where you're really open and honest and, and work that hard at it, if, you, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. In that, you know, I always had learned in nursing school about the the grief process, uh, death and dying, mm -hmm. and how you have to go through those stages of grief to get past or get um, moved forward. Mm -hmm. And I had always contended that with loss, it's the same as going through. You're losing something. Mm -hmm. You're losing a loved one. This is losing who we were as a couple. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. We did. He, you know, he did have um, his dad diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer um, the same year he was diagnosed with the brain tumor, mm -hmm. and we utilized those stages. Okay, Ron, your dad doesn't have a great prognosis. I was very upset and open and honest with him. I said, if he he could, you know. Depending on his attitude, I think, um, depending on what type of treatment he decides to take, what is, you know, what is his outlook on this? Right. It, it still wasn't looking great. Mm -hmm. um, so we talked a lot about that and what could we do to help each other. And um, I picked up books and did a lot of reading on how other people dealing with loss and um, got a lot of great information that we communicated a lot about. We discussed it a lot. You know, what was it going to look like with his dad mm -hmm. um, with the, you know, the problem that he had. And, um, you know, he wanted me to be truthful. He wanted me to share, you know, what am I thinking? It, I never hid anything from him. Mm -hmm. And that was even before the diagnosis, our di his diagnosis, I mm -hmm. should say. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So. And I think that's important to remember that honesty is key, especially in dealing with such devastating uh, information and topics such as, you know, terminal illness and disease and those types of things. It's really being more fair than you realize to the patient and to the family to be very honest. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, and I, I told one, I said, I have the nursing knowledge and the, you know, medical background. Do you want to know? Mm -hmm. Right mm -hmm. up front everything that I know and he absolutely wanted that um, from the beginning with his dad's diagnosis. So That makes sense. So what was it that prompted you to write the book Hope Through the Eyes of Love? I know that it's been a long journey for you. It's been about 20 years now, right? Since Ron yeah. was diagnosed. I just, I, I just want to clarify. I'm, I'm not the writer. I'm the co-author. Okay. Where this came from is back Ten years ago, I was going through, for my master's degree, believe it or not, with everything else going on in life, I got my um, degree in organizational development, and I had to write a master's thesis, mm -hmm. and that master's thesis was dealing with adversity, mm -hmm. and I could put that um, in perspective for my life, how to deal with the adversity, but also with companies and mm -hmm. organizations, how do they deal with the upsets that come along? Um, wonderful professor said, well, why don't you write your husband's autobiography? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I did. And I came up with a model um, through that process. So that was the beginning of my writing. And then um, come ahead 10 years, and just last year, I found this wonderful woman who would take all of the information that I had gathered over the years and put it together and put it into the love story that um, Hope Through the Eyes of Love is. 
Awesome. Um, I don't think I would have been able to put it into that perspective because I'm more clinical. Mm -hmm. I'm much more factual, and I wouldn't have given it such um, a wonderful format. Mm -hmm. Um, And what is her name? Her name is Angel Logan, and um, this is what she did. She is an angel to many people Mm -hmm. where she'll take their story and help them put it into a, a wonderful format and uh, she she's the one that did the writing although she used much much of my material obviously we have the story what was it that you were hoping to achieve by sharing the story with others i want to be able to let others know that brain tumor number one does not have to mean a death sentence mm-hmm. um, so many people have even taken me aside and said is he still alive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's right here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just assume that with a diagnosis of a brain tumor that he'd be gone. Right. I have to say, you know, life expectancy with his type of tumor, two to three years. Now mm-hmm. it's up to five years. Mm-hmm. And here he is 20 years later. Yeah, I'd be surprised too. That's to wonderful. What a blessing. Yeah. And so the... Um, just knowing that that you can get through that. The other thing is that through a lot of love and hope, you can basically face any adversity in life. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I know that you have the strength within you to get through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell the listeners, if you will, before we talk some more in depth about the book itself, what were some of the bigger challenges you faced along this 20-year journey and how did you deal with them? Um, well, some of the, the difficulties were I wanted Ron to have, quote, unquote, a normal life. And mm-hmm. to me, that was going back to work. Mm-hmm. I really fought for him to be able to go back to work. And um, the only way to get someone with a disability back to work is to go through vocational rehab. We confronted... <laughs> Uh, a neuropsychologist who thought I was in denial and why would I ever want Ron to have to go to work? Mm -hmm. Anyway. Mm. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) It was so difficult and so frustrating for me. And he, I said, well, let me ask you about the denial. What do you think I'm not seeing? He Mm -hmm. says, well, he has a brain tumor. He's going to die. And I said, I haven't been told he's got an expiration date on him anywhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I said, they absolutely do not know at this point now that he's had radiation treatment what his prognosis is going to be. Yes, the tumor could come back. Yes, it could come back as a more aggressive tumor. But we don't know that. And Mm -hmm. I can't make him just sit around the house doing nothing all day thinking, what if? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I, I want him to pursue whatever dreams that he has and give him as full a life as possible. So that was one of the big challenges. And the second was, it was probably 12 years ago, Ron started losing his ability to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what that means is the part of the brain that controls his speech has necrosis, tumor, whatever it might be in it. And um, Ron Fluff would only be able to say, I would probably 
vocabulary of maybe 30 words. Some things he may put three to four words together. If I told him to say brick, he would not be able to say it. Mm-hmm. That has been the hardest thing to deal with. Um, he's not able to tell me how he's feeling. He can't express himself. Um, he can't talk on the telephone, but mm-hmm. with only a few words. That is the most difficult, and we've had to learn how to communicate without words, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And I think we do a pretty good job of it. And he's so, not able to write either? Um, he's amazing in that he can write numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, he could tell you what the temperature is out. He could write that down. He could write the first letter of some words, like my name. He can't read because he has a visual problem, so he can't read a whole line of text, let's say. Mm-hmm. And that's part of that speech problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at this point, there's no way to turn that around or do any therapy that would change that because of his condition. Well, that's another frustrating thing is that without making progress, um, for insurance companies, mm-hmm. they won't let you have more than 10 sessions of therapy. Mm. He needs, he would need years and years, years of therapy right. uh, to keep him going. So try to do things to help him um, communicate as best as he can. I can imagine how frustrating and, and painful it's probably been for you going through this, but it also sounds like you've been his true advocate during the process, speaking up for him and trying to get him the best of care and do try different things that might help. Absolutely. And that's one another point of the book is that everybody going through something like this needs to have an advocate. They need to have someone that will listen to the doctors, make sure the appointments get kept, make sure the follow-up is done, make sure the medications are correct. I, I can go on and on and on. Um, right. Ron's had seizures for the past four years, and it wasn't until probably six months ago I realized, like, he's got he's got to be able to get something different for a med. He mm-hmm. keeps on having these seizures. They've got to have something else that will work. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not a doctor that suggested I go to a neurologist. I just picked up the phone and said, absolutely, taken the initiative in doing that. So, uh, yeah, being his advocate, that's my absolutely my job. How have you dealt with, so you mentioned some frustrations, and that's trying to get other people to hear you and to recognize that there might be another way to handle the situations that you've gone through, and then obviously losing your ability to communicate with him. What have you done to deal with, with those situations? What would you say to listeners who struggle or similar or, you know, the same thing that you're going through or have gone through so that they might find some encouragement of how to deal with the feelings surrounding that? I, I think that um, taking an answer from a doctor, and if you're not comfortable with it, don't sit with it. Continue on asking questions. Educate yourself. There's so much resources out on the Internet. And, mm-hmm. of course, you have to balance the good resources with the poor resources. Right, exactly. Um, but if you see, you know, if you have a question, if you if it's not sitting right with you in your heart, then you need to pursue it. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. And to continue to advocate for that person. Um, there are services out there, and there's more and more every day. I'm amazed at the different um, organizations um, that are on Facebook, on um, Twitter, on mm-hmm. 
the internet. I mean, 20 years ago, we didn't have this. Right. We right. had essentially nothing. Mm-hmm. And now there's just so much information. And to that end, there's so much information, you could be really, really overwhelmed. So finding a good, reliable organization that may have the resources right there for you, you know, the Brain Tumor Foundation, um, there's several different uh, foundations and societies out there available that can help you right. with resources. And but I think I, what part of what you're doing, which is your blog, there's a great deal of online support groups and blogs and things that really people can find some support and some encouragement and people who understand what they're really going through because they're actually going through it or they've gone through it and they're sharing absolutely. their real I, experience. I just happened to find a group recently on Facebook. It's called Brain Cancer Family. And there's almost 500 members on there. It's overwhelming to think there are 500 people that have been affected by brain tumors, but on the other hand, the the camaraderie in that group, it's a closed group, it's, it's just amazing. And to be able to give my two cents, hey, but I've been at this for 20 years, let me, you know, let me share. Right. Um, and others, you know, have lost, um, recently lost loved ones, and they share, you know, their struggles, their um, are there triumphs of what worked for them, what didn't work for them, mm-hmm. so that people coming through it at this point um, can have the knowledge. Yeah. Had that been available to me 20 years ago, it would have been wonderful. Right, and I'm so glad it is now, but it is unfortunate for you and others that in the past some of these things weren't even talked about. You know, it was just even though it wasn't something you brought on yourself or did anything to make it happen, People just didn't want to talk about illness and disease and, you know, terminal things, that type of thing. It was just so hush-hush. So I'm very happy to see that the groups are out there, that people like you are out there writing books and writing blogs and sharing. Can you share with the audience how did you deal with your feelings? You must have had feelings of frustration, of grief, anger. What were those feelings and how did you deal with the feelings? I think because Ron and I had a good relationship to start out with, I've always shared how I'm feeling. If I'm frustrated, he knows it. If I'm sad, he knows it. If I'm angry, he knows it. <laughs> and if I, I think just being open and honest, I think that's really honestly the, the crux of the whole thing is that We've just been really open and honest. It's been sad in the fact that I've had to watch him, um, you know, lose his ability. He can't use his right side. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I am so thrilled for him when he's off doing stuff on his own. Mm-hmm. And he'll only call for my help when he absolutely needs it. Mm-hmm. And some of the things he accomplishes with one hand, I'd be amazed that people do with two hands. Right, right. Um, That's awesome. And there's, you know, there's, yes, it's really sad that he can't use his right and be the guy that he used to be, but oh my gosh, the guy that he has become is just amazing. Frustrated with um, doctors, medical professionals, that neuropsychologist, um, I think that I turned into motivation to mm-hmm. help others. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time that I had the experience with the neuropsychologist, I ended up having a support group. I, it would just catapulted me to start a support group because I said, 
I can't believe people have to go through this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to be there and be supportive of people at that time. Right, um, right. And I, and I think what's really, really important is finding those moments of happiness and bliss. We moved to Florida, and we live on the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. And talk about moments of bliss. Mm-hmm. I am so excited if I'm walking along the beach and I find a sand dollar. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely giddy. I'm so excited and mm-hmm. happy. Mm-hmm. And it's because I've taken those moments and really, really enjoy those special moments in life. Although they're very short and brief, if you have enough of them, you can have a really happy life. That's true. Uh, and we've said before on the show that it's really all about perspective. You can look at all the things you don't have and all the things that are going wrong, or you can look at the things that you do have and the things that go right. And and like you said, just the simplest of pleasures that are often right there in front of us and we just don't realize it because we're so inundated with life and stuff and pain and depression and all that. Exactly. And, you know, to surround yourself in a good good position. I mean, you could have the smallest little house, but if you don't make it a happy place, mm-hmm. you're stuck in misery. Right. And um, just, you know, the simplest things, making sure it's like the wall color is a good one. You know, just mm-hmm. surround yourself with um, pictures and memorabilia to make it put that smile on your face whenever right. you look at them. Positive and uplifting definitely makes sense. What do you do with those times, though, that you're crying, you're in tears, uh, you're depressed, you don't want to get out of bed, you don't want to, you know, face this life that you weren't planning on, because obviously when we get married, we don't think it's going to be this way or that way, and it never ends up that way anyway, but for some of us, it's a lot harder than others as far as how things evolve, and I would love for you to share with the listeners what that looks like for you and how you deal with that. I um, will sleep. <laughs> I really, I, I pay attention to what my body's feeling, and when I'm really, really sad, I really uh, am down on myself. I can't seem to get out of my own way or accomplish anything positive. I sit, you know, I kind of sit with those feelings. Okay, why am I sad? Why mm-hmm. can't I get out of my own way? Well, I'm exhausted. That's why. Well, okay, let's, you know, take a nap. Mm-hmm. So I take a nap and I'm able to, you know, get on. But I think the most, the easiest way to get out of it is just walk to my husband. The guy got one hand, one arm that doesn't work. He doesn't walk real well and he can't talk. And yet he goes about his life as just, so positive mm. and we'll just pick up and say okay I'm really in a dumpy mood what do we need to do to get me out of this and mm-hmm. usually we'll either jump in the pool or we'll go out to the beach mm. and that those moments just I totally forget everything I put behind me um, another thing I do is gardening um, I'll get out get myself dirty I'll mow the grass I'll make another flower bed I'll just come up with a new project and eventually that will get me out of my slump and I'll see, wow, I made it some, you know, out of all this aggravation, I really made something beautiful here. Right. Mm. I like that. That's awesome. And that's very true. Sometimes creating something, whether it's a garden or baking or arts, arts and crafts, whatever, uh, often helps, you know, encourage and inspire us that, that life is still happening and there's still good things. What is some of the key points that you share in there as far as uh, the whole meaning behind the book? There's 
basically, it really shares the fact that we have not only just been through the brain tumor diagnosis and all that went through that, but how we continued to love each other through all of those experiences. And it starts off, you know, as one as a small child and then me as a small child. So where we have come from, and it, it goes on and it shares what it was it like to have that diagnosis handed to you mm-hmm. and what do you do with that. Mm-hmm. It also, um, as you ask so well, you know, what is it that kept me motivated, what kept us going? Mm-hmm. I needed to still be a person and have a career and have mm-hmm. goals in my life, and I never let go of that. And I never gave up on those dreams, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. despite what we've been through. That's and awesome. I think now I've turned that passion into getting this book into everybody's hands that would want it. I'm very excited because you've donated a book to Your Story Matters, and once the show is archived at our website at www.yourstorymatters.net, and people listen and comment there about this interview, they will be entered into the drawing to win a copy of the book themselves. For those of the people who want the book now and who may not be able to win the book, where would they go to find the book and find out more about you? There is, um, I have a blog, which I'd love them to come and join. It is prgarvin at blogspot.com, or they can order the book through the publisher, and that is, this is a huge long name, but it's mine, um, www.patriciamiservegarvin.com. Great. And Govin is spelled G-A-U-V-I-N for our listeners. That's correct. Wonderful. Patty, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing a bit of your story with the listeners of Your Story Matters radio show. And I just encourage and inspire everyone to pick up a copy of the book and to connect with you further, especially if they're going through the same or something similar to what Patty and Ron have been living with for 20 years. I'm sure there's some great tips and information and encouragement there. And I just wish you all the best in your future endeavors, Patty. Thank you, Angela. Thank you so much for doing the interview. You're welcome.